Welcome to Judges on Judging, a podcast from the Rendell Center for Civics and Civic Engagement. This program is made possible through a partnership with the Annenberg Public Policy Center at the University of Pennsylvania in Philadelphia. Now, here's your moderator, Judge Marjorie Rendell. Welcome to yet another podcast in the series, Judges on Judging. I am Marjorie Rendell, the chairman of the Rendell Center for Civics and Civic Engagement. And we started this podcast series to focus on matters primarily legal, matters of current interest, but we thought that there's something even more timely than legal judicial matters, and that is the election that is coming up in less than two months from when we are doing this. Much has been talked about, about what is going on across the country, but as we know, elections are local. So each state has its own rules. And it's kind of a mystifying process, but to demystify what is going on, we're pleased to have today with us David Thornburg, who is the president and CEO of the Committee of 70, our watchdog group. Uh, if you go on their website, which I encourage you to do, uh, they are say, telling us something that we need to be reminded of. 2020 is the year of the voter make sure your vote counts. And that's what we want to do. David, thank you for being with us. And we, we want to figure out how we can make our vote counts. And we want you to, to help us navigate this uh, very difficult terrain. So I'm very pleased to have you with us today. Well, thank you, Judge Rundell. I will do, I will give it my best shot. <laughs> okay, okay. And we're going to focus primarily on Pennsylvania. We do have other states contiguous to us, Delaware, New Jersey, but we're going to focus on Pennsylvania and uh, what is going on in our state. As I said, everything is different in every state. And I think we, we realized that in the Bush versus Gore election when they had the hanging chads in Florida and everybody across the country's you know, scratching their head, what's, what's a chad anyway? <laughs> um, but in past elections, we either voted in person or if we weren't gonna be in the jurisdiction, we submitted an absentee ballot. Um, but today we are talking about mail-in voting. Um, and my and thought was that this came about because of the coronavirus. But in fact, uh, you were telling me that this came about even earlier than that. So tell us what's, what's behind all this mail-in ballot ideas. Sure. That's, it's a uh, practice that has captured people's imagination. And uh, I'm, I'm afraid born the brunt of a lot of misinformation. So I'm really glad to have the chance to talk about it. Um, in Pennsylvania, fortuitously, uh, mail-in voting, or what some folks call no-excuse abs no absentee voting, um, was authorized by the legislature in a bill passed uh, last October, uh, Act 77, and signed by the, the governor. Uh, and I say fortuitously because I think if you ask people in October of, 19th of uh, last year what a coronavirus is, you'd get a lot of blank stares. So uh, it was part of a negotiated package uh, in the legislature and with the governor's office to provide, uh, among other things, funding for new voting machines, uh, a change in the rules about uh, what's called straight ticket voting, uh, basically eliminating straight ticket voting, which was previously had given people the chance to vote for, uh, you know, the Democratic Party, the Republican Party, or the Libertarian Party with the flip of one switch, so that was eliminated. And then um, mail voting was, was authorized by the legislature. So 
as opposed to some other states, like you see what happened in Wisconsin or Georgia or other places where they had to uh, think through new authorizations for mail voting in response to the coronavirus, we were able, we had a little bit of a head start uh, to try to put some of the pieces together. Um, and, and so I, you know, I hope history uh, rewards that, that bit of foresight, uh, but, uh, uh, but time will tell because the, the pressures on our local election system, and, and it's a great civics lesson, by the way, uh, that to remind people that voting is a state and local responsibility, uh, but uh, all of our counties in Pennsylvania and elsewhere have a huge job ahead of them to deliver on the election uh, uh, coming up. So, uh, but that's where, that's how mail voting originated in Pennsylvania. Okay. Well, now I filled in my application for, to get a mail-in ballot, and it was quite extensive. Um, I did it almost a month ago, I think, uh, and I haven't heard anything. Uh, and I'm sure I'm not alone. I'm sure a lot of people have done this. What is happening? Are these ballots being sent out to people or what's the status of the whole concept of, of mail-in voting? Well, you are, in fact, far from alone in that question. I, I was visiting with my parents over the weekend and I got the same question from my mother. Good. Okay. <laughs> so there's a lot of good, well-informed folks who are anxious about that. Um, so the short story is in Pennsylvania, the ballot is not yet ready to be distributed because there's actually a couple legal challenges around the ballot that have to be resolved. Uh, but we should expect to be receiving uh, ballots, those of us who have applied for uh, mail ballots, I would say by the end of this month, uh, which should be plenty of time to turn them around and, and send them back. And in Pennsylvania, and uh, again, other states vary, there actually is a, a simple but relatively uh, straightforward way of tracking your mail ballot. If you supply the Commonwealth with your uh, email address, you can go on at any point and see where it is in the, in the, uh, in the process, ending with the fact that uh, it's in the hands of local election officials and ready to be counted. Oh, that's interesting. Because I, I know I wrote down my confirmation number. I wrote it down somewhere. But I, yeah. I thought, oh, do I need to find it and, and figure out exactly where it is? Yeah. Um, yeah. So now we're recording this on September 8th. So you said the end of this month. So that'd be the end of September. So there yeah. should be sufficient time. Um, so yeah. we hear problems with the post office. Uh, and, you know, we're going to mail them in. What is going to happen? Um, I was reading a, an article by Carl Rove uh, on the Wall Street Journal and he was talking about the post office and the fact that if everyone who voted in 2016 applied for a mail ballot and sent it in this year, uh, there'd be 414 million pieces of mail. Now he posits that that's less than the 472 million pieces of mail that the postal service processes and delivers on an average day. So you, you assume that if those 414 are over time, say over two weeks or three week period, maybe it, it won't tax the, the postal service that much, but we have, we have no assurance of that. So let's assume I send in my mail-in ballot on October 1st, well, let's say the, the 10th of October, it's getting kind of close. So I don't know whether it's been received. Do we get any kind of confirmation? Yes. Do we know, should I show up at the polls on election day and say, I voted mail-in, but 
Do you have it? Is there a record? How do we kind of figure out whether our vote's been counted right. well, or that, whether it will be counted? That's part of the swirling anxiety around this election. And I've actually seen the analysis of how mail ballots, the volume of mail ballots compares to holiday mail traffic that the post office processes and it's a shadow of- Wow, interesting. So yeah. I think that the capacity's there, but particularly in Pennsylvania where most people aren't used to voting by mail, there's a lot of anxiety. And just to put it in perspective, about 10 times as many people will vote by mail in 2020 general election in Pennsylvania as voted in uh, by mail in 2016. So the increase is just astronomical. Yeah. Um, I'll go back to what I said earlier. There is a way in Pennsylvania to, to track the progress of your mail ballot by uh, uh, if you supply the state with your email. Also, there are, there are procedures in place uh, that the state created um, for a number of circumstances, like I changed my mind and I, you know, uh, I, uh, can I actually vote by uh, vote in person if, if you nullify, if you basically rip up ma my mail ballot or I, I, I lost part of the mail ballot that you gave me, can I vote in person? There are processes in place to take care of those situations. Two caveats, one, it's a test on the local uh, voting administration to carry out those processes, but it also means that they have to be, uh, those people have to be adequately trained uh, to, to, to do that. And um, that also gets us into another aspect of this, which is uh, the issue of using drop boxes. Many states uh, like Colorado, for instance, that vote by mail primarily have a well-established network of secure drop boxes where rather than hand it over to the post office, you can put your ballot in a, in a secure location that is collected regularly by election officials and there's security cameras on it and so forth. And that's for free, I assume. You don't need oh, postage sure. on those. Yeah. yeah. So it kind of cuts out the middleman. It cuts out right. the post office. That plan is in place in Pennsylvania. But that's a whole apparatus. You'd have to uh, secure them. You have to, uh, you know, make sure they're fabricated properly. I mean, Colorado has been doing this forever. This sounds like a recipe for disaster. If we're, you know, putting band-aids on the situation in the last couple of weeks, putting drop boxes around, I don't know. This well, seems a little bit sketchy. Uh, you know, you're, you're trying to balance several different things. And I think the, the most, from our perspective, we have to consider the voter. And if voters are uneasy about using a post office, we have to give them some other option. I didn't talk about it, but there's also a proposal that maybe um, uh, voters could drop off their mail ballots at the polling place on election day. Well, that's another outlet. There's also a provision that's actually in the state law that allows voters to, it's, this sounds funny, but to vote early by mail, vote in person early by mail, which means that you go to your county courthouse, say, and request a mail ballot, they give it to you, you fill it out and you turn it back into the election officials. So, but, and you can do that, you know, uh, uh, weeks before the actual election day. So, you know, put all of that together. And, and I, I think what we have to keep our eye on is that we give voters options in which they have confidence uh, that they can uh, uh, get their vote in and counted on time. 
And by the way, because this is not only about rights, but responsibilities, the responsibility of voters is to get it done ASAP. But then when are they going to be counted? Uh, I have heard that, in fact, the election officials, uh, even though my mail-in ballot gets there, you know, the 10th of October, they're not going to be able to, to open them and verify them until the day before Election Day. Right. Is, that, is that correct? Um, mostly. <laughs> <laughs> they, there's, this is another issue that is the subject of lawsuits and also potentially some legislative action. The law says right now that counties can't basically open and begin processing mail ballots until uh, 7 a.m. of election day. And counties have said, whoa, 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 that's not nearly enough time if in fact we want to get uh, an efficient and accurate and timely count. Uh, because the other pressure is that for a number of reasons, folks say, well, we don't have to want to have to wait three weeks to see the results of this election. So, you know, could you hurry up, please? So, but as of now, counties really have their backs against the wall because the law says they can't even, and there's this term of art called pre-canvassing, which just means literally like opening the envelope. <laughs> it's oh not actually counting because there were folks in the process that were concerned that if you counted votes early, somehow those results would leak out and that would influence uh, turnout or voters' choices or whatever. So there's a 360 degrees of, of wow. issues around every little piece of this process. Well, what if I have sent in a mail-in ballot, but I'm just not sure what's happened and I go to the polls and, 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 and vote? Yeah. They're not well, gonna the know, if they can't open until that day, they're not gonna know that I sent in a mail-in ballot and won't I have voted twice? Well, actually, again, if the process works, if you went to the polls, but you already had voted by mail, that should be noted on the local uh, book of voters that the election board has in front of them. But it if they can't say, open my ballot until that day, until that morning, if they can't begin opening them, they're not, they're not going to know. They can't record that in that amount of time, can they? Well you raise a good point that I, I hadn't thought of the timing issue, but you give me a little bit of homework to do. Uh, but, <laughs> but that is not the, that I'm going to do that. Mind you, yeah, if I send yeah. in my mail-in ballot, I'm going to be confident. Yeah. It's there. I voted. I'm not showing up at the polls, but let me, let me take this opportunity to do a little information sharing. You mentioned our website, which is 70.org, S-E-V-E-N-T-Y.org. And then the state's website for the, your Pennsylvania friends, which is votespa.com. Okay. And, and between those two uh, sites, uh, I, you know, we're doing our best. We are a longstanding, as you know, nonpartisan, yep. a good government group. We're doing our utmost to make sure that voters uh, have what they need uh, uh, around the election process. Just for your non-Pennsylvania listeners, I just came across, these things are springing up on a daily basis. I saw both on the website 538.com and on Axios.com, a detailed state-by-state -state, uh, website on how to vote. So if you're in Kentucky or Virginia or Arkansas, and it does reveal, as you pointed out early, the idiosyncrasies of each and every state and each and every county, which certainly adds to the challenge, but that's, I think, the way the framers of our Constitution wanted it. <laughs> yeah. 
I'm just wondering, to me, it would be better if we had early voting, if we were allowed to go to the polls, you know, two or three weeks early instead of November, instead of this whole mail-in idea. How did the idea for mail-in balloting even come about last fall? Is it just because in other states it's working? I think the governor in particular uh, was in was had favored ways to make voting more convenient and accessible on that, as opposed to early voting. I mean, as, as, as you know, each and every one of these proposals has some political litmus test that folks apply to it. Does it benefit one team or the other, which I think is, is kind of tragic, but, you know, that's reality. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think the, the sense was that this was a more politically palatable option than, say, early voting. By the way, at the time, no one could have expected that so many people would take up that option. Because yeah. again, in previous elections, only three or 4% of the people mailed in their ballots. So it was not, it wasn't a big deal. Right, right, right. Exactly. <laughs> now it is. <laughs> now it is because of the, because of the virus, you're not going to want to stand in line six feet apart, 20 people. That's a hundred, you know, how many feet is yeah. that out into the street? It's going to be difficult. Um, so there are bills in the legislature to make changes in our process. I think you you noted we need one final volley of refinements to parts of our 1930 election code. Yeah. Um, what What is out there that you think has a chance of passage? I mean, to me, it looks like the idea of opening these things a little earlier so we can make sure that these that the notation gets made in the book makes sense. Is that is that one of the legislative proposals or Kind of yeah. what's out there and what's the likelihood of it getting passed yeah. if you could well could, you know we're, we're into the the fog of legislative activity um, oh and we know like, what that's like which is which is pretty <laughs> it's like tense. it's we think sausage is bad <laughs> that's right um but but uh, early pre-canvassing as you suggested was one of the items on our wish list we said well let's let's do it three weeks ahead of time so that when you know, the, the gates close at 8 p.m. on election night, you can be in position to turn the count around really quickly. We also uh, wanted the local, uh, the county boards of elections to have more freedom in naming, uh, in um, recruiting poll workers. Um, there's, a, there's a huge chronic shortage of people working at the polls. And I would, I would uh, invite your listeners, either themselves or family, friends, and their networks to think about working the polls this year, because mm-hmm. we can't pull off a, a, an efficient and secure uh, in-person election unless we have, you know, legions of well-trained poll workers. So without getting into details, Pennsylvania is very restrictive on when and who uh, you can recruit people to work the polls. And, and we said, well, that, that needs to be uh, liberalized. And then and then the other thing that that uh, that we supported is some kind of a relief valve for uh, for voters to use to deposit their ballots. So either to deposit them at the polls on election day, or to affirm the right to use drop boxes or something like that. Because the anxiety around the post office, as you said, just seems uh, unproductive and but very real. Mm-hmm. Now, if someone listening wants to be a poll watcher, poll worker, um, can they volunteer? They go on votespa.com, or, and I assume there's some training involved? Yep. Uh, votespa.com is one source. There's also a, 
a national uh, uh, organization called Power the Polls. Uh, so powerthepolls.org, which uh, takes your info and then routes you to the appropriate location if uh, wherever you are. And there is training involved. Uh, it varies, again, from, from state to state. You do get paid, but it's, it's an act of civic virtue more than it is a way to make a couple of bucks. Uh, and, you know, I've done it. Uh, it's, 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 um, it leaves you feeling like you've made a contribution to, to the larger uh, process. Now, do we need these people on Election Day when we assume there's going to be fewer people actually voting? Or would these people also help the county commissioners, whatever, in opening the ballots and tallying them for the mail-in part? Right. Because uh, it seems, you know, we might just have one half of the normal volume of voters on election day. So, yeah. you know, poll workers going to be sitting around twiddling their thumbs or is that realistic? Well, we need, as long as we're going to have polling places open, we need a full complement of poll workers at the polls. So that's what these positions would be for. It's kind of a funny thing. We have, you know, let's just say as many, if not a few more voters than in 2016, but we have to run two parallel elections. We have to run a, a by mail election and an in-person election, and you have to do those preparing for a full complement of voters. So I, again, I just, and I, let me say one, we're, we haven't talked about it, but some people have made all kinds of allegations about voter fraud and, and particularly the potentials for uh, mail ballots. And mm -hmm. without naming names, I would simply say to folks, take your advice from people who actually run elections, i.e. your county officials, your local officials, your state officials. Those are the folks you could turn to and ask uh, whether systems are secure or whatever, because they know, and the overwhelming majority of them, uh, as you know, are, are simply men and women trying to do the right thing for the right purposes. They're not partisan operatives. So mm -hmm. a plea for calm and mm -hmm. trust in our local elected officials. Mm -hmm. Now, will there be standard procedures for dealing with these ballots? I mean, you know, I know just in my house, a pile of papers here and there. <laughs> um, you know, is there safekeeping? Are there regulations that will say, okay, this is how you deal with the ballots and what you do with them kind of at the night when you leave the office or whatever? Sure. I mean, keep, keeping in mind in Pennsylvania, when we expanded the use of mail ballots, we were piggybacking on the absentee ballot practice, which I think has been around nationally since the Civil War. So this is not a new protocol. It's just a dramatically expanded. You may need a, a couple more secure safes to hold the, the ballots than, than you had before. So, but it is, it's a huge challenge for folks on the front lines to, to respond to this test, this pressure test. And, you know, we owe them our, our respect and our confidence, but, you know, we also have to, have to hold folks accountable. Well, filling out the, the application for the ballot was not arduous, but there's a lot of I's dotted and T's crossed. And I assume the ballot itself, you know, there's going to be questions as to whether this ballot's properly filled out, whether it's, you know, yep. I don't know if whole you have to all the bells and whistles. But, um, you know, we talk about court challenges now. It, it just it scares me, the concept of, you know, people coming in and challenging ballots. Yeah. Well, two comments. One in Pennsylvania, a lot of folks don't know this, but when you went to apply for a mail ballot online, you were asked for your PennDOT voter, uh, your PennDOT ID. Right. 
which is the one part of, you know, there's a lot of been legal challenges to, to voter ID laws in Pennsylvania and elsewhere. That is the one part of Pennsylvania voter ID where that, that still remains. So you have to have your application cross-checked against your, you know, state driver's license in order to get a, uh, so that in and of itself is a check on people, you know, maliciously just manufacturing mail ballots and, 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 and turning them in. The other thing I would say is nothing is without risk and without anxiety, but you have a choice. You can vote by mail or you can vote in person. If your concern about voting in mail is too great, well, then get up a little Come earlier or, or leave a little earlier from work or wherever and, and head off to the polls on November 3rd. Um, now, I know the Committee 70 is interested not only in voting, but also encouraging informed citizenship in general. I thought it'd be nice for you to tell the listeners about some of the initiatives that, that you are involved in in order to educate our citizens. This is sure. right down the uh, Rendell Center alley, if you No, will. I know it is. I know it's a cause near and dear to your, to your heart. I guess the way we look at it is voting is one aspect of citizenship, but far from the only acts. One of our objectives is to try to create a greater culture of citizenship and starting in the schools and, and, and seeing it as a lifelong habit. So in order to do that, we, we drew on some research to identify some of what do we think of as the habits of effective citizenship. And I'll just tick them off and, and people can find them on our website at, at 70.org. First is to be a voter. Second is to um, choose your news wisely in this era of all the news all the time, that's uh, a, a tall order in and of itself, but it, you really have to, as a citizen, sort out your, you know, the wheat from the chaff. The third is to invite diverse perspectives, something that we probably all uh, need to be challenged to do. The fourth is to figure out how it works. Back to Schoolhouse Rock, how does a bill become law or mm-hmm. how does the judicial system interact with the other branch of government or what have you? And, and finally, and maybe most important, to act. And that's whether to be uh, a voter uh, or to serve as a poll worker or to take, you know, answer the call for jury duty or, or contact your local official. That's, that's a right and a responsibility that we have. So those are, those are our five habits that in this election season, and we hope for years to come, we'll try to do our best to promulgate those uh, and share those with folks. That's terrific. That's really, really terrific. Well, I thank you very much, David, for your time and efforts. And uh, I know while some of us are not quite as busy during Corona, you are probably ramping up like crazy with every day a new challenge and a a new issue that is arising. So we, on on behalf of all of the citizens, we we really thank you for what you do. And uh, you had a, a life of service. I know you were the previous director at the Fells Institute. So you, you're following in the Thornburg tradition of public service, and we're, yeah. we're so fortunate to have you. So thank oh, you so thank much. You. Stay well and healthy, and uh, best to your family. Thank you, Judge Rendell. 55 days to Election Day. Oh, my gracious. We'll tick them off. <laughs> Thanks again. Thank you. You've been listening to Judges on Judging, a podcast from the Rendell Center for Civics and Civic Engagement. Information about and resources from the Rendell Center are available online at rendellcenter.org. Thanks for listening.